Woo! <laughs> All right. Welcome to a Come Follow Me podcast, everybody. This is another Anderson brother. This is Ricky. Introduce yourself, Ricky. Hey, I'm a full-time seminary teacher in Gilbert, Arizona. If you can see in the back of Ricky's picture there, there's a nice plaque. When uh, During COVID, he and Ryan grew mustaches, and that's their silhouette. Did a student make that for you? I'm trying to remember where that comes no, from. No, it was a student teacher. We were going to turn it into a t-shirt and start selling merch. <laughs> You, you can't you can't tell, but the mustache on Ryan was way like smaller, way skinny. And he in, he insisted that the guy go and fill in his mustache on our merchandise. <laughs> it's uh, the brothers Anderson. Was that wasn't that the name of your podcast over yeah, the, the podcast? You're gonna have merch. <laughs> anyway, it's a good logo. It's really nice. Anyway, so Ricky's the other side of that. Um, and so anyway, he was gracious enough. Brian's home and he's back from his cruise, but. He's a principal and everything's piled on him after. So, you know, it takes you a week after a cruise to want to do anything. So, it's fine. Hence, why we're going to shoot two podcasts this week. So, I can do the one while I'm gone and the one when I get back, but I won't, don't want to worry about it. So, we're, we're going to hit Genesis 3741 today. Um, we're going to begin a new phase in the book of Genesis, which is, um, according to my Jewish study Bible, they call it a novella. And no, am I saying that right? A small novel. Like yeah. things change in this story because now we're we're all the rest of the Genesis is going to be Joseph and and the narrative, and and uh, it's very consistent in its storytelling, but it changes its theolo- theology. We're we're not going to see God appearing in person anymore to the prophets. Like that changes. Now we see God more doing things in the background, doing things through spiritual gifts, and so that's something that we're going to see and we'll talk about. But let's start, Ricky. I'll start my timer right now. Um, with dreams. So there's a there's a couple of overarching themes in this story, one of them being dreams. We've got two sets of, uh, or three sets of dreams, two dreams that come back to back when we first meet Joseph, two dreams in prison, and then Pharaoh's two dreams out of prison. Any uh, initial thoughts, patterns you can see from the fact that we're seeing these sets of dreams in the story? Well, I mean, I mean, immediately you got the numbers, right? You've, you've, he, he always has the one dream and then he has another dream following up that is similar thematically. So it's almost as if this is a, a witness, uh, you know, the second witness. Yeah. It's almost like it's a second witness. Here's, here's a dream. And then here's a second dream. That's not the same, but it's saying the exact same thing. Unless so, you get to the Butler and the, yeah, unless you get to that maker. one, and then that one is like, but but again, that's still Hebrew poetry, right? Where yeah, they sound the paralleled, same, and then some things are exactly contrasted. So it feels poetic that this is how they would do that, and yeah. and that's always interesting to me when they get yeah. Poetic. The Jewish Study Bible also points out that there's good and ill that kind of results that's in the dream or results from the dream. So when you've got like, uh, uh, for instance, you know Joseph gives these his first dreams about you know the worshiping or the the bowing and giving of essence but it leads to him being sold as a slave basically with with the baker and the butler you know the baker gets a good or the butler the cup bearer gets the good dream and the baker gets impaled according to the jewish study bible says they hang him on a tree mine says he gets impaled um and so there's good and ill well what's interesting about that is i mean this this has if you want to think the wider pattern here um, you know, Joseph's dreams about the sheaves and the stars bowing down, you know, um, are, are kind of pointing us forward to oh, that's the latter true. dreams. 
And so you, you do have a bit of a chiasm going on here. Uh, it's not necessarily that it's coming to a point with the butler and the cupbearer. But, but the first dreams are hearkening to the, like the last foretell. Two. The last dream tells us how it actually happens. The butler and the baker seem to just be how he gets out of print. Like what gets him in front of Pharaoh? Either way, they're forecasting the future event that we're supposed mm -hmm. to be looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. So, but, so but ultimately, I mean, if we're going to talk dreams, isn't that kind of what dreams are? Like, yeah, maybe. Uh, but that, this is a total Bible play. This is what scripture does is it's a literature. And so it is doing a thing to point us somewhere. And that's what it does. Here's something else. I didn't notice this as a pattern until I was reading it in the, in the Jewish study Bible. But in, in the case of the first dream, um, Joseph's brothers and his dad interprets it because he just says the dream and then they interpret it in, um, in the second set of dreams. Um, then Joseph interprets it. And then in the third set of dreams, he interprets it. And then he gives, um, like a strategy, like a solution, which he doesn't do in the other two. And, uh, and so, so it's interesting that they are similar and you see patterns, but there are differences too. And, and there's a result from each one. The first set of dreams gets him sold into slavery. The set, second set of dreams eventually gets him out of prison. And the third set of dreams actually puts him in his high station. And so, I mean, is there a higher principle of revelation here of, of how we approach when we receive guidance, how, how we, how we're supposed to interpret things versus how are we then supposed to act on things? Is that, is that kind of what you're getting to? I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with it. it it's an interesting pattern, but it, it does show that there are consequences to the spiritual gifts, but it, all in all, the trajectory is towards God's ultimate, you know, goal. So let's, let's take that and let's go to um, the second overarching theme that I saw. And, and let me just describe it to you and you tell me what you see. So again, this was the Jewish study Bible that pointed this out. And I was like, how have I missed this? But there are five different times where Joseph gets clothed. Okay. So like the first time is in 37 verse three, and he's given uh, the, the King James calls it the coat of many colors, but the, the Hebrew study Bible calls it the ornamental tunic of favor. Okay. So he's clothed anyway with that. Then in 37, 23, he's stripped. Of the tunic. Right. Then in 3912, he's stripped again of the garment that Potiphar gave him by his wife. And then in 41, he is clothed and given a haircut, 4114, in preparation to be brought in front of Pharaoh. And then in 4142, then is when he gets the ring, the gold chain, the, the white linen robes. Okay. So those are the five clothings of Joseph in here. I'm just curious what your hot take is on like just hearing that. I don't know if that's the first time you've heard it, but what, what pattern do you see? No, I, I really like, um, you know, in, in revelation, uh, restoration scripture, we, we hear the word endowed a lot and typically it's used in reference to a gift that's given, yep. but it does seem like in the Bible and in, in new Testament, especially we're talking about clothing, being clothed with whatever it is. Yeah. And so if you're building up Genesis where you keep having these temple type experiences, starting with Abraham, even Isaac, but then Jacob having the, you know, the, the Jacob's uh, ladder, the Jacob's wrestle ladder. Yeah. And then, and he has those moments, his name, his name has changed. It would only make sense that Joseph's story continues in kind of a priestly kind of temple theme that he would be clothed with some sort of power 
and and then in moments where he's laid bare he loses his clothing but then he's given more power so yeah. it makes sense to me this feels endowment like yeah me too and and so i even took it a little a step further in in thinking about us so like when you consider that we start off in a favored position with God, we're chosen before we were born, Abraham three. Um, and so we're robed with some glory. There's some preparatory redemption Alma talks about. But then when we come to earth, we're stripped of it and we become prisoners. Well, we become slaves and we become prisoners, right? We're stripped bare. We get wounded from the fall. Um, you know, mortality does its thing to us. But then if we come to Christ, he will put a robe on us. He will clean us up. We'll be justified. And we will be given a, a, a an audience in the council, in the in the presence, right? Nice. And then if, if we continue there with the gifts God has given us to being true to that, but at the same time, see, we've been talking about this pattern with my, my students, at least, of this idea that the Abrahamic covenant is about forming a relationship of trust. That was from the thoughts to keep in mind section of the Come, Follow Me. And that we're learning how to trust God and, and learning how to be trustworthy. And, and so if we can, so here's, here's Joseph, he's been given this, this visionary power. Um, and, and so he's using that and he's trying to be faithful to it. And then he uses his own agency to then say, and by the way, here's a plan. Here's something you can do. There, there is nothing in there that indicates that was from God, although we would say it is. And then that exalts him. He becomes second in command to um, to Pharaoh. And, and that's an exalting, I mean, that's what happens. Yeah, if you wanted, I know the timer rang, but if you wanted to get super macro, that, that makes me think of the book of Revelation when John sees these heavenly beings being clothed with light and power. And, and then ultimately the end of his revelation is the establishment of the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem and that celestial world. And yeah. so it just makes sense that- That'd be that, in there. That, that is the pattern. Of yeah. being clothed and exalted and eventually receiving the reward. Yeah, like the the I follow like him podcast has Jeff Chadwick on. He says Genesis is a prequel to the founding of the nation of Israel. And and, and Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. And so this is a this is a founding story. Yeah, it fits there. So let's move from there then, these 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 patterns in Joseph's life to what feels a little bit like a tangent, like a excursion away. And that is chapter 38. And admittedly, our Come Follow Me doesn't do a lot with it. Seminary Manual doesn't do a lot with it. Therefore, maybe we shouldn't do a lot with it. Except <laughs> to say that what happens here with Judah and Tamar being placed here is purposeful. The, the text is oriented in a way that is meant to, for us to see this in this order this way. Um, what, what are you thinking? Like, what do you think we're supposed to do with the Judah Tamar story? Well, what's interesting is seed has always been a big deal in the Abrahamic covenant story thus far. Like I, I see a lot of posterity when it's talking to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And here you have Judah uh, having a problem with seed. And so I, I see a lot of that. So you, you start getting into, what do they call it? The uh, the Leverite? Yeah, the Leverite law. So you're the saying Leverite. he's not dealing with a barren wife like the previous seed problems were no absolutely That's he's exactly dealing with sons who keep getting killed by god <laughs> but but isn't it one in the same i mean couldn't we say that that's kind of the same issue is that's i've never seen that as 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 patterns that fit but yeah for sure i mean i i, I see this as a as a posterity issue and and he's he does it right at first 
uh, according to those those laws and those rituals, uh, Tamar is supposed to marry the next son and, and yeah. is supposed to have opportunity to have seed. And then when Judah stops is when things kind of go awry and Tamar has to kind of take things, take care of things that are wrong. Yeah. Which, and you it, feel really uncomfortable about that story. Yeah. I do think there's some cultural things that we should understand that gets us a little out of our own way, but it is interesting. I tried to climb into Judah's head a little bit. The first two sons that married Tamar died and he's only got one son left. And I just wonder if he's like, when he's of age and then go, and then after she goes back to dad, I wonder if at some point he's like, my gosh, I don't want him to die too. Like they keep (laughs) dying, you know, Um, maybe. Right. I mean, there's, um, some, there's some assumptions there, but that that it may could maybe she, he feels like she's a cursed woman. And maybe. Time. Yeah. Yeah. But but at the same time, is it one of those things where it's like, listen, I, I yeah, maybe there's some other elements to this re- re- relationship that's just not playing out. Tamar doesn't feel like that's justified. I, I think we can go back to Tamar's experience and She's feeling pretty slighted by this whole. She's situation. total. No, she's totally ho. She's Joseph. I mean, in this story, she has done nothing wrong, and and it's the it's what other people are doing. I, I don't know how far we take the literalness that God ki- keeps killing these kids for unreasonable reasons. Like this is where the God of the Old Testament seems mean to people, and I just don't know. I mean, it's it's a different sort of literature, and it obviously is not important to the story because they don't tell us a thing about it. They're just like, oh, God killed him, which may be a yeah. way of saying he died of a heart attack, but we say God does everything. So God killed it him. Is, it is def, definitely one of those stories in the Bible where we need to understand that these stories are often vague and they're not super detailed. And we need to be way more focused about what's in the story versus what's not included in right. the story. Like sometimes students are like, so why did God do that? And my answer is usually, I don't know if we should care about that. Yeah. Or because it's not in the story, we should probably yeah. focus on what is in the story because that's that's probably what the point is. Yeah. And so what's the point of this story? You know, the fact that Tamar has been slighted and in and, and those cultures, not being married and not having children, he's basically left her in, in social purgatory. She has no future. He's left her completely. He's totally hosed her. And so when she hears that his wife has died and that he's coming to town, she does she she does something that maybe doesn't make a ton of sense to us. And even then probably God's not too thrilled about, um, but if she puts a veil on and um, again, the Jewish study Bible is interesting. It, it says that he thinks she's a cult prostitute, a religious idolatrous. And we know there's idolatry in Joseph's and Jacob's family. Like they got idols and they do some stuff. And not, again, that doesn't seem to justify it, but in this story, the text does not make a point about the law of chastity. Right. The, the text is making a point about the um, rightness of, of, of taking care of your obligations in marriage and, and childbearing. And, Which and is we, the problem with, that's the problem with proof texting. We take these, these yep. stories isolated and in our culture and we go, she was a prostitute. She acted yeah. the, pro- the obviously the this is about sex and and not breaking right. the law of chastity when that's right. not what it's doing. So what is it doing? Let's let's jump over now to Potiphar's wife. I'll start a new timer. Uh, this is how we. This is how I I manage to keep talking about stuff with the new timer, um, because 
Because again, they got to go together. Yep. Yeah, the, you, you 38. can't just read thirty-eight and then not read thirty-nine together. Right? And and unless you think I'm I'm backtracking on myself because we think that Potiphar's wife is about the law of chastity too. And again, now prophets have been using it for this reason, and so right. prophets yeah. we we follow prophets and they ha- it's their prophetic prerogative to reappropriate scriptures like that. And, and but, it's a scripture mastery and has been forever. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, he ran and got him out of a sexual advance of a seductress. Yes. But it does seem that what we're supposed to be comparing and contrasting is not that Potiphar and Tamar are the same temptation and Judah failed and Joseph succeeded. Because if we do that, then we paint Tamar. We put the women in this story all as bad guys. No, what what we're actually supposed to see is that Judah is not faithful to his promises and his obligations, and Joseph is. So it's less about sex. It's more about faithfulness to obligations. Yeah, I I would agree 100%. And and people also take it into the direction that she wasn't of the covenant family. But eventually, Joseph marries an Egyptian. like Meaning uh, Potiphar? Potiphar's wife or Tamar? Well, in, in, in the situation with Joseph, and I know she's already married, so there's these other yeah, yeah, there's that. But when it comes down to it, yeah, there's way more to covenant making and keeping in both stories than it ever is about sex. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 we've got a this is probably a good moment to pause and re- remind everybody the old testament is rated R in places. And um <laughs> there there are some things in it that the King James translators try to smooth over and we may miss. But it's about as real as it gets, is what Jake said last week. And, and and this is one of those cases where we're going to talk about big boy, big girl topics, the world as it is, and some of those things. But let's not miss the point, just because in our current you know culture, we, we get so you know fixated on sexual things. The ancient culture was actually more worried about who's taking care of who and who's being faithful. And it's because Joseph was faithful. Yes, that he didn't break the law of chastity. I'm not saying that that's not important, but it's fact that he was faithful to what he was put in responsibility of. He was not going to abuse his power is a bigger deal to the ancients than, than in this case. And God's with him. God continues to let him flourish and prosper because he's faithful and whatever he's trustworthy. Back which, to the puts that, which puts that verse nine in better perspective. You know, there's none greater in this house than I. I mean, if this is truly all about uh, law of chastity, that's an interesting first line. Yeah, it doesn't uh, seem to fit. We just skip it. Yeah, you know, neither neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What, what is, is this great God, wickedness? Yeah, what, what is it that God's been doing that this act would actually fly in the face of God? And it really has been the fact that Joseph, anything he touches, God causes to just be successful and flourish. Yeah. And here he's in a position of, I'm making this house, you know, prosperous. And and he, I can't go and do this thing now. That would if I, would I the blessing I'm receiving from yeah, God. I would abuse yeah. my my privileged position. Yeah. Right. So so hopefully that's a that's a helpful way to then reconceptualize and not make this all about like like the sin of Sodom back with Lot's family and we fixate so much on the homosexuality of it and that's not the point of the story at all. And so what is the point of this whole story? So let's get to our our, um, our last topic of this segment, which is the Christ types we are supposed to be seeing with Joseph. Where do you see them, Ricky? What, what should we be pointing out to students? What should young people see? Well, I mean, I always love pointing out the fact that Jesus comes through Tamar. I know that's not the Joseph that you're, you were talking about, but sure. the, the, the line of Christ comes through Judah and Tamar. Yeah. I mean, it. 
it's it's through that family uh, and you can talk later you know when we get to jericho and we start talking about the rahab yeah, there's another prostitute in the line. Yeah. And then Ruth, we get a, a stranger yeah, Ruth. Ruth. But how great is it that you can you can show people the fact that Jesus came through these struggling family situations mm -hmm. and and he's still Jesus and he's still the Messiah and he's still the king, you know. And there's and plenty of dysfunction stuff. in his house for sure. Yeah, and I know that's not typically the Christ type that people go to, but I love the fact that his family history is messy. Well, how about this like too? The, the Jewish study Bible makes a point that Tamar redeems Judah's line. Like if she doesn't do what she does, Judah doesn't have seed. This story is in here because it's the origin of the tribe of Judah. Um, and so again, there's a little bit of a Christ type in there. We get a little icky about it because of what it is she does, but yeah. But what about Joseph? So we take this boy, he is favored by his father rejected by his brethren, unfairly treated, unfairly abused, unfairly imprisoned and stripped and is faithful, drinks the entire bitter cup. And because he was willing to submit completely to God's will, he was then put in a position to save everybody. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> I don't it, know how it, we'd say that clearer. It's pretty exacting as far as its demonstration of Christ. The only part I would say that isn't the Christ type is the fact that later on, he does, says it a couple of times, when his brothers come back, and I know that's a later, when that's his brothers show week. up and he kind of does his little test to them. And then right at the end, before he dies, he says kind of a similar thing where he's like, God did this. And he almost denotes the fact, I didn't really know what was going on, but God was doing this for the purpose of salvation. Good. That's the only part that I'm like, that's not Christ type. The whole. Why, why is it not Christ type to you? Just because uh, it feels a little less uh, uh, submitting of will. The idea of that agency is I, I can choose these things. I don't know if he had so much of a choice when he was getting thrown in, you know, being sold by his brothers. Yeah. His submitting will sure. was. I'm still being faithful to my covenants, even though these bad things are happening. Yeah, all types, all symbols and parables break down eventually. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. he wasn't in full control like Jesus was. Jesus could have pulled the plug at any point. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right, though, that the faithfulness and, you know, and there's there's a principle to the idea of when bad stuff happens to you or when life's not working out the way you hope it would work out. Members of the covenant family, those who prevail with God, keep trusting him. And realizing that all the failures and the struggles and the, and the hard things are leading towards a purpose that we can't see, but it, but it will work out. If, if, if uh, Joseph doesn't get thrown in prison, he stays in Potiphar's house right. and, and the, he can't fulfill his purposes in Potiphar's house. If he's, yeah, he's right. got to go to prison. Prison is the way to Pharaoh. And if, if he doesn't stay in prison long enough, he does, he's not there when Pharaoh has the dream. So he's got to be there long enough for Pharaoh to have the dream. Like all these things have a purpose. And, you know, President Uchtdorf said we should be careful not to try to connect too many dots in the future. Do you remember that talk? Yep. Um, when we look back, it's okay. But sometimes, and I, I do this probably worse than anybody. I'm always trying to forecast what's God doing in my life? What's he trying to do in my life? It's kind of a game. Uh, you can play that game if you're okay when you're like, well, I'm spectacularly wrong. And that's great. Like that you got to be willing that, to do And that will only happen in hindsight. Right? Yeah. It's never projected and we're right. A lot of the times I'm just curious, really curious how things are going to work out. 
All right. Well, and, and Joseph, and jo the other part that I like about this is uh, because of the covenant family and because Joseph is faithful, um, he's getting some very real trust from other from others who are not of the covenant family. He's literally demonstrating the fact that in the last days when we gather Israel, Israel is going to bless non-Israel. And here you have uh, Pharaoh trusting Joseph and totally going to be blessed by it. And it's it's literally the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, not just by saving the covenant family, but he is a source of salvation to, to Pharaoh in Egypt as well. But yeah, the whole world. It makes the point of the whole world. All right. Shall we do the big finish? Let's do it. Big finish. All right. I told Ricky, I, I didn't even let him know what these topics are. So this is true hot takes. Um, Joseph telling his brothers his dreams. Is he cocky or oblivious? <laughs> I'd like to think that he's oblivious. I think I I would think he's probably uh, described like Jacob. I think he's plain, he's innocent, and he's naive. Yeah, I, 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 that's how I view it. I, I yeah. don't see him as going someday. I'm going to get you guys. There's I, a part. There is a part of me that hopes he is a little cocky because I'm a little cocky and I want there to be a hope for me in that, you know, because again, there's, there could be a maturation, the way that he approaches the, his gift Maybe. of dream telling grow, he grows up a little bit, but you know, who knows um, yeah. themes of deception. Okay. So check this out. We've got God's plan moving forward. We've got Rebecca dressing Jacob up like a hairy man. We've got Tamar putting a veil over her face. Like there are some of these themes of deception. What what are we supposed to do with those as part of God's plan? Yeah, God tricks us to be faithful. I feel like <laughs> all the time. <laughs> that's the model of well, EFY. I, yeah, <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> um, I think I think that what uh, I, I I mean at least for the Rebecca story, I think there's more there than we would probably give her and Jacob credit for. I think there's probably more there. Yeah. Tamar, I, I know, uh, you know, there's probably more there. So am I comfortable saying God tricks us? No, no, he doesn't trick us. I, I think there's no. He no, just uses humans and sometimes we trick each other. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Which brings me to spiritual gifts. Joseph now is displaying, like I said before, not open vision, spiritual gifts. What do you think we're supposed to learn from the story about spiritual gifts? Um, I think when when we can recognize that people have spiritual gifts, we, we probably need to be way more, way better at the gifts of discernment than than anything. Um, boy, what would have been different if Jacob had the gift of discernment? I mean, he even kind of kind of gets in with the brothers a little bit on that. A little critical, you know, saying, "Oh, so what? What are you gonna be better? You're gonna be boss of me too." Yeah. Imagine how that could have been different if Jacob could have taught a him. Bit of, yeah, if you had the gift of discernment and said, no, you're being prepared for something else. If yeah. That could have been better. Or maybe it wasn't so favoritism to tick everybody else off and then say, hey, why don't you go out in the middle of nowhere and go check on your brothers who hate you? Like there could have been a little discernment. You know, you got, you got themes of deception. You don't have themes of favoritism in here. We've got a couple of generations of people having their favorite kid. That's yeah. true. <laughs> it's in there. Yeah. Last one, last one. We, we can't pass these blocks without saying the reason why Pharaoh and Egypt and everybody saved is because they listened to a prophet, right? That's a pattern. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. I agree. And I think in, in today's day and age, it's a little dangerous. Uh, we're not saying that Joseph was perfect. We're never going to say that. We're not going to say Jacob was perfect. We can't say that. Uh, but we can say when God is speaking through a prophet. Um, He'd be wise. 
there's safety in, yeah. in following direction. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well said. All right, dude, that's part one. We will record another one in a couple of days. I'll put on a different shirt so it looks like it's a different day. <laughs> it will be a different day. You're going to the day. temple. <laughs> All right, man. Enjoy the temple. We'll see you soon. I do. See Goodbye. You.